As we're closing out the first season of State House with Frank Santos, I want to thank uh, all the listeners and viewers uh, for watching our, our program. With your viewership, we've uh, reached the top 75 political podcasts in the country, and um, we only started six months ago. So um, I want to thank you all for that, and hopefully you'll continue to uh, to watch our, our episodes as, as we grow. Subscribe, like them. Um, that helps us to, to bring you even better content. What we found from this season is we explored a lot of uh, issues that we were seeing both in the state and national, but um, really at the at the at the state level, uh, we talked about the Texas's medical cannabis program and how it impacts veterans and how it impacts uh, disabled patients and all kinds of different patients. We also um, we talked about the three tier uh, uh, system for selling liquor in the state. At some of the big box stores are trying to change, um, which disrupts a lot of um, the way that uh, package stores uh, have been selling product and controlling uh, product from from minors. Uh, we also talked about veterans uh, transitioning from combat to civilian life and the struggles involved with that. A lot more to talk about those issues. Um, we also talked about the border crisis and its impact on the population and what's happening with um, those issues at the state capitol, how they're dealing with it and who's dealing with it. And uh, we also talked about Hispanic voters, a lot of talk about how Hispanic voters have changed some of the dynamics of the elections in some states and nationally. And is that going to continue as we as we move into the 2024 election cycle? A lot of you have asked, um, with all of these issues, as you're listening to them, um, what do you do with them? How can you impact change in those issues? How can you affect a difference? And uh, if you are either one of the people that are affected by this particular issue or just any any political issue at all, of course, we couldn't cover everything. We tried to cover um, a a group of issues in this first uh, this first season, and we'll continue to do that. Um, and also, many of you were uh, concerned about how does that happen in an environment where there's so much background noise going on nationally and in the states, but but nationally mostly. And is democracy at some kind of tipping point? Um, you hear that a lot on the news. You hear a lot of cable channels talking about that. It's it's uh, it's good clickbait, but um, it's a good question, and I'm going to say that um, uh, democracy is not at a tipping point. Um, I don't think we're at a stage where the anti-government sentiment is the same as it was even back in the '60s and '70s. Uh, but clearly, as someone who's been working as a lobbyist in state government around the country for 30 years. I can tell you there was a time back in in the 90s where, honestly, uh, it was more collegial. And we're not going to be able to roll that back to the 90s. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say back in the good old days. Uh, it's just that's the way it was in the 90s. 
you had uh, Republicans, Democrats um, that I worked with all over the United States on very controversial issues that I was dealing with. And although they had very uh, distinct uh, sides uh, and, and opinions about those issues, we were always able to find, you know, a compromise. And I think that uh, even with contentious issues, you can always find compromise when you're trying to find a resolution um, without, uh, you know, giving up on, on your own uh, views about that particular issue. Um, for those of us that are outside, and I include myself on the outside because I am not an elected official, but um, even lobbyists uh, and, and, and even more impactful are people that are not even in this particular business, but uh, constituents, voters, um, like many of yourselves, uh, are looking for uh, a possible way to, to influence the process and feel like you may not have you know, that ability to do that. I don't think that's true. We'll talk about that here in a second. But, you know, if you want to really get a good example of sort of the environment that we're dealing with, I really would uh, recommend you listen to the podcast I did with Harvey Kronberg called The uh, Rhetoric of Rage. I think you get an idea of where we are in a snapshot in 2023 uh, at the state capitol, and probably the same can be... Uh, said for every other state, for many other states in the country, uh, and obviously at the at the federal level in Congress, but but really, um, I think that will give you an idea of the environment that everybody's having to work in. In general, politics isn't really something you can read in a book. Uh, we all take civics, and we learn how a bill becomes a law, but. I look at that as sort of an index of a multi-volume treatise that really goes into the political process and what we call democracy. Um, and if you've uh, never heard the phrase, then I'll share it with you, that you know, politics is, is war without bloodshed. And it's really true. That was the whole purpose of creating the system that we work in is that we could solve our, our differences without bloodshed. But uh, I can promise you the opposing forces of any particular issue will use everything at their disposal to defeat, defeat their opposition um, without bloodshed. I think some of that's changing, and there are some gray areas that you're seeing throughout the United States, but I don't think that we are at a tipping point where we're falling into any kind of anarchy or anything like that. To truly understand uh, politics is to understand, really, people and their behavior. Um, from, in my opinion, uh, 30 years of being a successful lobbyist um, all over the country, uh, one of the things that um, I, I really spent time doing was, uh, in order to have longevity in this in this business, I, I needed to understand that each person I was dealing with, and you're talking about a people business, uh, each person has a very diverse background. Um, they have uh, diverse motivations, and they are in turn 
uh, these elected officials working with other people who have diverse backgrounds and different motivations. And so in order to put those people together, you have to understand uh, where there is some common ground and, um, uh, and, and under, understand what their, what their motivations are and what, to the, what do they believe themselves to be uh, uh, getting to a, a win in any particular issue. It's difficult with uh, the amount of noise that you hear and um, the change that we've gone from uh, the collegial uh, back and forth to really more of a um, a tribal, um, and and that's not my word. I've uh, that's a word being used today to describe politics uh, as tribalism, and I and I think that's true. Um, I think what's what you see is that these 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 opposing forces have uh, circled the wagons and decided that if you don't believe this or you don't believe that, then there is no in between, and. Uh, and neither one is willing to take that step. And so what happens is uh, the middle, which is where most of us sit, uh, really get left out. These are the loudest forces that are on this side and on this side. The people in the middle get left out and really don't have a voice, and that's not good. You also hear a lot about uh, special interest, and um, it's, not a, it's not a bad word. Uh, special interest just means anybody who has an interest, a particular interest in getting something uh, something completed, something uh, passed, uh, changed at the uh, legislative level. And that can be anything from uh, corporate, some corp- uh, corporation, or it could be uh, a patient advocacy group. They're all special interest. I think what probably people really connect more to special interest is money. And uh, I, I'm not going to tell you that that's not that's not part of the process. Uh, m- money is um, the mother's milk of politics. It does drive what happens on a day to day basis, and here's why. In order for an, uh, someone who's a candidate or someone who's getting reelected to go through that process and get elected or reelected, it takes a lot of money. It there's no way they can do it without money. And the reason is, is because you have to communicate to a large group of people that are voting for you. Uh, in the case, uh, let's use Texas. In the case of Texas, a House, a rep- a house member um, has 167,000 people in their district, uh, roundabouts. Senate has 940,000 people in their district. They have to get the majority of those people to vote them into office. Well, uh, in order to get your view out to those voters, and particularly if you've got someone who's running against you and they have their own um, f- flavor of that particular view, is that you have to communicate with them at every level possible. That's mail, uh, door, door knocking, um, the social media. All of those things take staff. It takes an office. It takes you know uh, machinery and paper and uh, you know, phone bills and everything else, it, all of it is very costly. And so uh, when they're out raising money, um, this is what they're raising it for. Um, and, I, and I would say, you know, you, you get a lot of the negative um, information about uh, when someone abuses that privilege um, here and there, and it does happen, and they really are abusing that privilege. But uh, by and large, the system 
works because most people they will follow the guidelines and the ethical guidelines and the legal guidelines for how to go about doing that. When it comes to uh, the type of money that uh, an elected official can take, it changes as well. So uh, another term you hear is PAC money, political action committee um, money. And that's in the state of Texas, it's the only kind of money you can use for direct intervention into a um, into an election. And that's uh, personal money. That means it has to come out of your personal checking account uh, in order for it to be utilized uh, for that campaign. Uh, I think what probably most people hear a lot about is what they call dark money. And of course, they had to put dark in front of it to make it sound terrible. And in some ways, I understand it's distasteful, but um, essentially, well, what it is is money is utilized that is not personal to benefit a particular issue, but they can't benefit a candidate. So a lot of money is put into those uh, into those funds to help to help promote that particular issue, which in which in turn uh, indirectly uh, will will uh, will help a candidate that you're probably interested in, and uh, that's because it's a, it's a illegal to use corporate dollars in the state for directly for an election campaign. Now I've been on both sides of that. Um, I I worked in states where political action committee money was the only money you could use, but I've also been in states where corporate dollars were available. And um, when you have corporate dollars available, it's, there's, there's no limit and you can, you, you, you know, the corporation is, is able to utilize money for all kinds of things, all kinds of programs educational pieces, uh, fundraisers, et cetera. And, um, and so they have a much bigger play in those states because of that. In a state like Texas, where personal money is uh, all you can use, the wealthiest donors are, prob- are, are going to have the most impact because they have available to them uh, personal money that they can use. They can give millions. Um, there isn't a limit on that. And for other people who are trying to create a, a political action committee of personal money where they're gathering, you know, their dollars to, to give to a member, it's much, much smaller. And you know, one of the misconceptions out there, and I'm, when I used to work um, years ago, when I used to represent pharmaceutical industry, everybody thought that the pharmaceutical industry was just flush with PAC money. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that these are multinational organizations and they can't use corporate dollars. And the only way that they can collect PAC money is they have to collect it from their employees. And I've been out doing those uh, fundraisers and trying to uh, uh, to generate PAC funds. And it's pretty difficult when you're giving a talk in Michigan and trying to convince somebody to take money out of their paycheck for a Texas race. So you can imagine they're very small and um, so those aren't those those companies don't all have uh, huge uh, PAC uh, uh, contributions, and so I think some of that's a, a little misleading uh, on that end. If you are going to utilize uh, money as your only uh, way to influence the the races and influence the process, uh, you're sort of stuck with that because once you've once you've gone down that road. Uh, you have to stay on that road, and uh, and there's there's plenty of people that uh, can maintain that in in uh, in state politics, but it's difficult. 
because they uh, always will come back for more. Um, I like to look at things a little bit differently. Uh, yes, you need to participate in these election campaigns, and you want to be there when you want to be around when they don't need you, so that when you do need help, that you know it doesn't look like you've you know paid a play, which uh, is also illegal. A quid pro quo contribution for a vote is is uh, per se illegal. So um, so the elections occur, and um, you get down the road, and then you're you're at the Capitol, and there's 181 members. There's 150 House members. There's 31 uh, senators. No way you're going to cover all of them. And so, you know, how are you going to best uh, interact with with these members? And I have kind of a story, a uh, quick story about my son that I always think about, and it it um, it's my view of how I deal with with members and able to be successful in influencing them in a positive way, um, not influencing them in, in, a, uh, in a way that makes them do something they don't want to do. But it's understanding that member, what they need, and how to best get to a yes. So my son, when he was, uh, uh, my, my youngest son, when he was in first grade, he was a little bitty guy, redhead, round glasses. Uh, he, I thought he was the cutest thing in the world, but it did subject him to um, some bullying. And he was bullied. And he was bullied badly by a kid that was at least twice his size. Um, I don't know how old the kid was. He wasn't, didn't look like a first grader. But uh, for some reason, he just focused in on my son. And it happened over and over again. And it was physical. Um, it was a physical kind of bullying. And I couldn't get the school to do anything about it. They just would tell me they didn't see it. I said, well, bullies don't do things when they're, you're looking. So um, I talked to my son about it, and my, uh, to my late wife's chagrin, I told him, I said, I want you, the next time that he's doing something to you, you do whatever you have to do to stop him, and you're not going to get in trouble with me. I don't care what the school says. You're not going to get in trouble with me. So not much longer after that, uh, Kid was twisting his arm, and my little redheaded uh, little boy with round glasses reared up and just bit the hell out of this kid. And um, they both got in trouble and from the school, not by me, uh, but it shut this kid down. And um, so then, you know, we had to talk about it and process it. And I told him... Uh, because you know he's he, it didn't it didn't stop the you know the impact it had on him being bullied by someone and you know just biting this kid isn't going to be the resolution to the problem um so i told him i said son here's what you need to understand is uh, when someone is is uh is bullying you and you think that there is something in particular about you that they're that they're bullying you for uh, you need to remember something about them there's something in their background that's happening either at home or somewhere else maybe they're getting bullied maybe their parents are, there's a problem at home with their parents we don't you don't ever really know what's going on with them 
but you need to understand that uh, uh, it's never uh, about you. It's about them. They're suffering inside, and they're acting out, and you just happen to be the one in front of them. And it doesn't absolve them of anything they do, but it also um, lets you see through what you see as meanness or, or, or those kinds of things that, 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 are, that are impacting you. I said, you're going to run into people like this your entire life. You know, when you get into sports, when you, uh, when you get into, uh, you know, college, when you start working, you're going to run into people and they're going to have different ways of interacting with you. And you're going to, some days you're going to feel like um, they're bullying you or they're awkward with you or they don't like you and there's something about you. And the one thing you need to remember, it's never about you. It's not personal. There's something they're dealing with. And so, you know, take a moment, try to understand what that is. And you're going to get a better idea of how to deal with them. And, um, you know, that's that story I, 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 I always remind myself of because as an outsider, all of us outsiders trying to work within the political system, we're always going to be dealing with people and, you know, you'll try to get something done and you talk to them and you think, God, that was, they're the rudest person I ever dealt with. And they don't really care. They might care, but you gotta you gotta look deeper and find out. You know what is it that I need to understand about this person? What is it in their background? You know, uh, they have they have one hundred and sixty seven thousand people watching them in their district. They may have some trauma. They may have some you know issue in their family. They may have something else going on. It's up to you to 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 dig into that, and you need to. Take that first step and figure it out. If that's what you want to do, is to influence someone that you don't know. Um, uh, you do it every day. We all do it every day, but you don't realize it that when you're talking to someone who's an elected official, they're just another person um, with the same the same things going on in their life that you do, but they they happen to have a vote and you don't. So it's up to you to to step in. A lot of people don't want to take that first step because it's an ego, kind of an ego buster. Um, and you have to get rid of that, to get rid of that and decide, you know, my job here is to talk to this person and convince them of my position. And hopefully they, they will help me. If they won't help me, maybe they'll at least steer me in the right direction. And um, I found out over the years, um, for some reason, uh, that philosophy is really helped me in a number of ways. Uh, I was always able to talk to people that seemed to be the hardest nut to crack in politics, um, mainly because I didn't go in with a preconceived notion that they were going to like me and they were going to, I was going to be the best, you know, I can convince them and my arguments were great. Uh, whatever, I went in with the idea that I'm going to have to work to figure out what's going to make this person tick and and uh, and and in the long run you know, bring them closer to to my side. I kind of uh, I think of this and I've said this before, I think of politics as uh, 3D chess where all the pl- all the all the pieces get to decide whether or not they want to move. Um that's how complex I feel like this process is and you have to 
work at it. But um, back to um, how our country uh, is is dealing with all of this turmoil and how we're dealing with it and how that turmoil is impacting your ability to speak to those people, um, really on those one-on-one terms. As the noise level raises, uh, it does feel more like war than politics. Um, And that's exactly what the founders were um, intended our system of government to avoid. And I want to read one uh, passage um, out of the Federalist Papers, and the Federalist Papers were written by some of the framers of the Constitution to to, to get uh, New York to ratify um, the Constitution uh, in 1787. And um, this, came out, this comes right out of the very first one, Federalist Paper Number 1 by Alexander Hamilton. And I think it's, it's right on point. It says, Ambition, avarice, personal animosity, party opposition, and many other motives not more laudable than these are apt to operate as well among those who support as those who oppose the right side of the question. So essentially, all of those things that I call background noise will impact that person that you're dealing with. And and understanding that is why we have a system set up so that you have uh, debate and hopefully seek compromise. Um, I can honestly say, uh, and I've been doing this a long time, so it's, it's, not, it's not difficult for me now, but I can honestly say making that first move to understand your opposition in the case of someone who maybe isn't going to vote on the side that you would like them to, it's difficult. But um, because we're all built to win, and I think that that's a difficult thing to do is to is to is to be angry and and take it personally when someone isn't doesn't agree with your position. Um, but you know it's their right to disagree. And um, once I learned and uh, to understand that and befriend some of the most strident, dismissive, mean spirited people I've ever met. Um, and this is over the period of my career. Some of them have become lifelong friends and uh, turned out to be wonderful people. And they help me when they can. And when they can't, we agree to disagree and not turn it into a personal battle. So more often than not, we compromise, which in my book is a win. So I hope you took away from this season a little bit of a better understanding of what really makes our system work and why it does work. It's not perfect. It's a lot of times it's not pretty. And um, in fact, it can be very distasteful. But I don't think that taking the next road, taking the next step of uh, becoming uh, very tribal in the way that we look at, we view um, our issues um, really helps us to get anywhere. If you've noticed, you know, we don't seem to be doing much at the federal level. And that's why I like to work at the state level. Because, you know, what we have is uh, essentially, you know, two sides that will never get anything done. And in the states, uh, although the uh, it's definitely uh, 
uh, it can be as ugly at the state level as it is at the federal level. You you really have more at stake because you're closer to the people that you're representing, and so they're more apt to come to a compromise and 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 make things happen. And so I think that if you look at things the way that, that if you try to look at things the way that uh, I look at things, I think that over time there's uh, your your ability to be successful in and 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 not. You know, end up being uh, angry all the time at uh, what's going on every time you every time you turn on the TV and watch the news. Um, gives you a little better understanding of where to go next. Uh, we have a lot of this to talk about in season two, which will start up uh, pretty soon here, and um, we uh, we're going to cover a lot of areas. And we're going to get deeper into these issues, and we want to hear from you if you you know comment on on any of our. Um, any of our podcast, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, we want to. We, we definitely want to uh, steer our um, uh, steer our show towards the kind of things that you want to hear about about politics. And I can give you. I'll give you my best um, efforts on uh, what it's been for me in my thirty year career. So, again, thank you again for being uh, viewers and listeners. Please subscribe, like it. Send it to other people, and it'll help us. To, the bigger we get, the, the better our content can get, and the more guests that we can get on our show. And we uh, certainly appreciate all of your uh, uh, of your help doing that. Thank you. Today's show is made possible through a generous donation from my friends at Air Wellness. Air Wellness is one of the most innovative and fastest growing vertically integrated U.S. multi-state cannabis operators. The company's mission is to drive positive impact for their patients, their customers, their employees, and the communities they serve. For more information, please visit airwellness.com. That's A-Y-R wellness.com. As always, thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next time.